0: calling this sermon for such a time as this. In Esther 4.14, it says this, and who knows but you that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Esther was a young lady who was an orphan. She was beautiful and life seemed pretty ordinary for her. She had no idea that she was right where God wanted her when she was staying at her cousin Mordecai's house. He had adopted her. But one day soon, she was going to find that God would use her in an amazing way in his will. This story that I'm sharing today reads like a television movie. Uh, You'll find suspense and intrigue and betrayal and conspiracy and treachery. It's all in this story here. The cast of characters includes a king and a queen that loses her throne and an orphan girl who becomes queen and saves the day. A man of God. And yes, a villain in this story. A person could take the story of Esther and make a a really great, interesting movie out of it. Here's how the story goes. There was a king named Xerxes. And he had a bunch of rich and powerful friends to the palace one night and threw a huge party. And they drank till they were all drunk on their bottoms. And then he called for his beautiful queen, Vashti, to come out and he wanted to show his beauty, her beauty rather, to all of his drunk friends. Well, you can imagine how Vashti felt when she heard that and she said to herself and to the king, I'm not coming out for that, for a bunch of drunk men to uh, have goo-goo eyes over me. And she refuses to parade herself around in front of those uh, crazy uh, drunken men. And the king gets so upset that he banishes her from the kingdom. And then an idea is given to him to search the whole kingdom to find the most beautiful woman for his next wife. And then make her queen. This is really the very first episode of Who Wants to Be or Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire, right here. This this is the first episode of it. Men don't try this at home. So all the land is scoured, and they look for the most beautiful young female candidates in the kingdom. And here's where uh, young. Orphan Esther enters the scene. Just when she thinks her life is so normal and not a whole lot's happening and wondering how significant it might be, she finds out that all along she's been in the perfect will of God. God was about to put her in a palace and use her influence to save multitudes of people. There's three things I want to share with you today from this story. And the first is this. God created you on purpose for a purpose. He created you on purpose for a purpose. Esther 2.7. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther, and her name, name means star, and she was about to be a star winning this beauty contest, essentially. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own Daughter. Now that's her cousin, but he's obviously older and he just takes her in because he loves his family and they love her. So she enters this new home, living a simple, quiet life, but God had these amazing plans for her ahead. I just want you to know he has great plans for you too. You may be in a place where you think your life is just pretty normal and not that significant. I'm not saying you're gonna be the queen or you're gonna see great exposure like she saw, but I am saying it is amazing what God wants to do with your life. It is significant because God will bless other lives. It can have and will have eternal impact if you just say yes to his will for your life. However simple you think your life is, it can be supernatural when it's in God. God will put us in the right place At the right time to serve him to accomplish his will. She's just going along in life. Just a young, pretty girl. But he had put her in the right place to accomplish his will. It's a little um, surprising and amazing to see how God put them right in the right place in this story. Think of Mordecai. After... That's the cousin, the one who adopted her. After she's taken into the palace and she wins this contest to become the queen, Mordecai's at the gate and he overhears two people, two guards, talking about assassinating the king. So he sends word. And the word gets to the king and they stop that assassination plot. Well, just think of where he was, right there in front of that gate at the right time hearing that. That was hugely significant in this story even though he just thought he was going along, just walking along, and it was a normal, everyday life. That story would come back to bless him, because later he would be identified as the one who stopped the plot. And the king would honor him and listen to him. And then Esther, another good example of the right place at the right time. The edict from the king goes out to destroy all the Jews later. We'll read about that in a moment. And she's in there to fulfill God's purpose of saving her race, the nation of Israel. Mordecai knows it's no veiled threat and the lives of God's people are in grave danger and he calls upon her to stand up and help save the people. It's no accident that Esther becomes queen when she did. God placed her in the right place at the right time to carry out his will and his plan for the salvation of his people. I I think... What this means for us and what we can take from it in the scriptures is there's no insignificant moments if if you're in God's will. Everything is just preparation or on the way. We're in a journey. And um, I know we're wired and we're built to be successful and visible and let everybody, you know, hopefully we rise to have high incomes and great success in our careers with art or entertainment or business. That's the the American way. But it's not really God's way. God's way is every moment counts. And the little things are big things. And some things that are seen as big in this world are little to God. It's one thing to be known in heaven. It's another thing to be known on earth. And if we'll just be faithful wherever we are and all we're doing, we will not miss all the eternal and amazing things that he has for us. God has us in the right place at the right time. If your heart is his, he's about to bring fulfillment to his will in a story that has not yet been told, and your life will be a part of it. It's no coincidence where you're at, the relationships you have, the jobs you have. Sometimes you think these things just happen. That may have been what she thought early on. Bad things happen for her life. She goes into the house of Mordecai, but Mordecai becomes a counselor, and a father to her, and one that had great wisdom that would rise in power in the kingdom because Esther would bring him forth as queen later on. Those relationships, jobs, friends, they're not coincidence. It's providence. When we are his and totally in his hands, the the providence of God is in play. God has something for you to do, and he's placed you where you're at to be an influence for him. An influence in the lives of people, those that are around you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, and by the way, I like it. Someone sent word and said, I think this should be our theme verse for 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. I said, deal, buddy, I like it. For we are God's workmanship. That's you and me. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You were created to do his good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He's already prepared what he wants you to do. That's the providence of God. He knows where he's taking you. He knows the timing. He knows the journey. He doesn't want you to get excited. He just wants you to rest in him, trust in him, follow him, grow in him, and you will be able to accomplish his will because he'll take you there. As we say yes to God, he's going to use us. Every one of us to accomplish his purpose in us and in the lives of others. I guess to break it down and show you that it's important, even though you may think it's small, I, I, uh, I want to tell you this story. And you've, some of you have heard it before, but I, I want to tell it this morning because it works so well again. When I was a, a fourth grader, nine years old, living in Santa Cruz, California, I was not a believer and my, my whole family didn't know Jesus. I had two backslidden parents and didn't know that because uh, all the time that I was with them um, I never, we never went to church. It was before I was born that they knew the Lord and they had a really tragic happening with the loss of a child and, um, and, and they fell away from the Lord. Well, I had a neighbor named Danny Mick who invited me to go to church with him and um. As a little guy, he, it went like this Hey, Stan, do you want to go to church with me? No, not really. Uh, well, do you want to go to church and play softball? Oh, well, yeah, maybe I'll do that. And so we went, and I didn't know, but on a Wednesday night, Danny took me to his church, and there at the church, we started to play softball, but it was a Royal Ranger group. Anybody ever heard of the Royal Rangers? And uh, it's kind of a scouting program in, in, that, in, in, in the church. And, and there was an old fellow out there. Now, I say old, and um, I'm going to guess he was close to 60. That doesn't seem as old to me now as it did then. But uh, I remember thinking, what's he doing out here? He was the worst athlete I had ever seen in my life. But he was the happiest guy out there. He struck out twice that day playing softball, and he was laughing and playing with the kids. He's the Royal Ranger leader. And then he hit it once, and he started to run, but he ran with the old man run, which is the high-stepping. I don't know why, but old old people go like this. I was running to my car in the parking lot the other day, and I realized, oh my, oh my word, I'm high-stepping. And I thought, man, that's just weird. It seems like this guy would know he should just stay in a realm of talent that he might have somewhere, you know? And uh, then he took us in, my brother and I were there that night, he took us into a small room with about 15 other boys, and he, and he shared from the Bible, a story I'd never heard about Jesus Christ. And it was so believable to me. You know, that's why we need to get kids to church, because um, uh, most of the kids that are saved, they're saved, most people are saved before they're 18 years old. 70% of people are saved before they're 18 so we need to get them to the youth group, and we we need to get your kids' friends to the to the youth group and to the children's church and let their parents have a day off, and you bring them over here, and they they might find Jesus. My brother and I found Jesus, and we learned two scriptures that I can still quote in the King James Version that night. Matthew 5:16 and Romans 12:1. I remember my brother. Coming home after a couple weeks, we got saved and we just kept going back. And that old fella picked us up every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night. Little did I know he was picking us up with our backslidden parents watching, because I didn't know they were backslidden. The church had been very mean to them where they had been, and now they're watching what God intended the church to be: someone loving their kids, someone helping, someone blessing, someone giving. I remember watching my brother say to my mother, and he must have been, I was nine, so he must have been 11. He was standing in the kitchen with her. My brother's right over here. And and, um, it went like this. Mom, we learned today that people who don't accept Jesus go to hell and not to heaven. Well, I've accepted Jesus, and I'm going to heaven, and you haven't, so that means you're going to hell. Mom, I need you to accept Jesus so you can go to heaven with me. Now, I, I don't know if I'd recommend that but that methodology with your friends, but if you're loving talking to your mom, it's probably... It, it. Mom went to church and mom got saved. And a few months later, my dad, after watching this church love us all, my sisters came to the Lord at that time. We're all in church being loved by this church. And my dad called the pastor and said, I don't want to come to church, but would you come to my house and lead me to Jesus? And that's how their hurt got healed and those prodigals returned. And our lives were changed. I don't know that guy's name. I can't remember. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to look for him. I stopped by that church about five years ago. And I walked in. They're in a new location, a new building. And um, I looked around and I said, is this the church where Pastor Bishop used to be? Yes, it, it is. The name had changed as well. And I told the receptionist the story. I told her what I was doing now. And she said, would you mind sharing that with our staff? And I said, well, I guess not. And she ushered me into a staff meeting that was going on with about six or seven people. And uh, I told the story, and they teared up. And uh, then the pastor said, we've been going through a Pretty rough stretch here recently. And I think the Lord just wanted to encourage us to know that every little thing counts and God is doing great things even though we can't see it. I just want you to know, every little thing counts. There's nothing more important than a soul. Part of uh, another item from 2.10 that we're gonna do is reach out to kids in a significant way. We're gonna give a stimulus. That's a bad word these days. But we're gonna give a stimulus to the children's and the youth group. But we're not gonna borrow our stimulus. We're actually gonna raise it before we spend it. And here's one of the things that's happening. Pastor Jenny Smith is starting a a new program called Kidstown U. And it's an age-graded Sunday school with a modern twist. Kids are gonna learn Bible stories, Memorize scripture and learn to apply the Bible to their everyday lives. And they'll learn to pray and be involved in small group interaction as well. They'll be discussing God's word. And here's the deal. They have a table out there for teachers we need to sign up today. And we just need a few good people. We're going to have our children's church. That's the big group meeting. But this is a smaller group meeting that will happen in the first hour. Just really Bible-centered. And maybe you're one of those people that could be a teacher. Perhaps you have a passion for God's word and you're willing to share the word with children and, and um, they need classroom assistance and volunteers as well for this new program. It's going to start on 210. And as, there's a bulletin insert, if you want to look at it, it says a big orange U that says Kidstown U there and you can take a look at it. Perhaps God would use you to make a difference in a child's life the same way that man made a difference in mine. There'll be a a table you can sign up uh, for here in the lobby. Some of you are teachers, and this is your shot. You've been asking God, what do you want me to do? Perhaps this is it. We need you. Second thought today now, through a little 2.10 in there on you again with what the Lord's doing that's new around here. That's one of the 20 things. Next week, I'll share about the youth a little bit and what's going on there. Second point from this life of Esther your life will count if you count on him. Can you imagine how overwhelmed she is that the whole, the whole race of her people might be wiped out? Now here's one of the, an interesting twist in the story. Mordecai had informed her, when you go into that house, do not tell the king that you are a Jewish person. So the king doesn't know when he issues the edict to destroy the race of the Jews because he was tricked by this evil guy Haman. He doesn't know that this would be his own wife, the queen's life. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house alone, you alone rather, of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And here it is. And who knows, but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. This is what she meant by that. If you go into the king's presence without being called in, you're, you're to be killed unless he extends his scepter towards you and allows you to enter. So it's a matter of life and death when you walk in unannounced, even if you're the queen. And you've got this whole Vashti thing in your background, right, that you're thinking about. So you know this is not necessarily a merciful man, right, because he banished her. But she says, okay, I'll go to him. I'll plead for our people. But here's what I want first. I want you all to pray and fast. Mordecai. I told her not to reveal her race. She could die as she goes before him. But she says, I'm going to risk my life. But before she does this, she realizes the importance of prayer and fasting. And she asks the people to pray. Okay, I'll do it, but everybody fast and pray for three days. (laughs) We'll do it here too. We've just come off... Yesterday was the last day of the 20 days of prayer and fasting. That was item number one in 2.10, the New Horizon. That was the precursor. That was setting the stage. We've consecrated our lives. We've asked the Lord to help us be pure before Him. And we're asking Him to move upon this people because there are people being lost around us too. I was in a small group setting this week and and the question was asked, what are your hopes? And it never got around to me because I was pastor and we only have so much time. And But I was sitting there thinking, what are my hopes? And I, I really only have one hope. And it's to reach as many people for Jesus as I can before I die. That's it. And uh, how that all happens to me is That's his deal. And so I have to stay close to him, and I have to follow him. But I want you to know and feel that if people don't know Jesus in our community, they're going to die and be lost for eternity. I remember watching a movie when I was young. It was just a terrible uh, quality movie, but it was a Christian movie in the early days. And They had this scene uh, uh, with angels standing at the gate in heaven and at a desk where two people are standing there and one says enter in and another says depart from me and the one that was lost turned to his friend and said you knew, you knew and you didn't tell me, you knew. We know the good news. Listen, I know we can strengthen ministry around here and I want to. I know we can be better than we are, but I don't think that our problem is that we're not um, trying to grow enough inwardly within these walls and in our groups. I believe that our problem right now is we're not reaching enough to the world. I believe that if God had an assessment that he put over uh, and he interviewed, uh, uh, he doesn't have to interview because he knows everything, but if he wrote down that information, he would say, I need you to go to your community because there are people who lost are lost that need me. Well, she's saving her people, but as we fasted and prayed, we're, we're, we're saving people too. I know it's not us, but God uses us so that people might know his love and be saved for eternity. Before she asks her people, she says, pray. Before she goes to the king, rather, she says, Pray. We must always remember that we need God's ability to reach our full potential. And prayer is is understanding where the power comes from and the ability. It's not our ability, it's His ability. If we'll have availability to Him, then He'll give us His ability. And then we'll see amazing results. We've fasted and we've prayed. Colossians 4.2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. I thought of a story, again, this kind of hits the theme of there's nothing that's insignificant, that your life isn't a waste of time, that God has you in the right place at the right time. But Now we're talking about being a person who lives in Him and trust Him wherever you are. Uh, I, don't, I don't often mention names from the front, and I'll tell you why, because I, I just, I don't like politics, I'm not very political, so I don't, I don't try to gather favor and garner favor from people by speaking their name publicly. And uh, I, I know that there can, you can err too far on one side, because I love everybody, and I think everybody's awesome, but that's one of the reasons I don't want to honor others more. Everybody counts around here. We like to say horizon's a place where everybody's somebody and Jesus is all. But today I'm gonna mention a name. She's a senior citizen among us and she loves Jesus and she's been very faithful with her life. She's in the word, reading the word every day. She's praying and um, not a lot of you know her. Her name is Darlene Hogue. But when you're just being faithful to the Lord wherever you are, he has moments for you that are just amazing. And years ago, we were having trouble. Now, who can fathom that a large Christian project where you want to build on land is having problems with DEQ, but it actually happened to us that we were having some trouble with DEQ and they didn't want to approve the things we were doing. It seemed like every step we took they thought was wrong and we were just trying to do what they were telling us to do. We were paying extra fees and, uh, you, you know, whatever they said, it wasn't extra, it was whatever they wanted and, and it seemed extra. But, but, We couldn't get favor from them. So one day, with all the red stuff that they were writing us up on, Pastor John went to DEQ, and when he showed up, Darlene Hogue was in the office. And she'd been loving those people for a long time, living the life in front of them. And she grabbed the person that was supposed to work with John and took them up to John and introduced John as her pastor, one of her pastors. Told her what a wonderful man he was, and looked at the people in the office said, whatever these people need, you need to do it for them. And that was our breakthrough. We couldn't get anything to happen and we were having all kinds of trouble until the woman of God, Darlene Hogue, who nobody knew about, but God was with, used in a significant moment to see this happen. I don't know if you know it, but DEQ can stop the thing from being built in Oregon. We've been hearing about bird refuge and all this stuff, and Darlene somehow had the influence and the timing and the moment that God said, Okay, Darlene, this is one of my moments for you. And we were blessed incredibly. Darlene, are you here? I don't know what service she's in. Is she here? Where is she? Would you just lift your hand up just for a moment? This is, this is your 15 seconds of fame. All right, let's thank God for Darlene over there. Can we do that? <laughs> That's all right, Darlene. There have been plenty of things you've done, and you never got any credit. Today, you get lots of credit. We love you, and th- we thank God for you. But here's what I want you to know, and Darlene wants you to know. It's not just Darlene. It's you. It's me. There are gonna be amazing moments in our life that God's been preparing us for all of our life and it might just be something like that but he's going to use you and there's gonna be a soul. Maybe it's a nine-year-old like I was. Maybe it's your neighbor who's been divorced but if you'll love and you'll give and you'll be that example and you'll trust God and you'll be in his word, you'll find him doing eternal things and moving his kingdom along with you. You get to be a part. I get to be a part. Part of getting our hearts there is Matthew 6, 6 6 rather. But when you pray, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. She knew the importance of prayer, Esther did. And there's that prayer closet I was talking about, just that secret place. Not the public place, but the secret place all alone with God. You find that place, you find yourself ready to do his will in the moments that he would bring third thought today we must be willing to give up the good things for the best there's lots of good things you can pursue in life there's lots of good Christian things you could pursue in life but the will of God is best Esther had it all she'd come into the palace and to power and pleasure and she was willing to give it up to save God's people Esther 5 is where we pick up the story. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court. He was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand so she isn't gonna die because he extends the scepter and she's received. And that moment, that was a very scary moment for her. It took courage for her to do this. He said, okay, I'm going to let you live. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. What a relief that is from what could have been. And then to verse five, if it pleases the king, she said, and he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do. And if he is pleased with me, Let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, the son of Hamedatha, the Agite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my people? Well, it did please him, and he made a way for that edict to be changed. She realized that entering the king's presence could mean death, but she presented herself as a living sacrifice. If I perish, I perish, she had said. That wasn't the cry of a person who wanted to be a martyr. It was the testimony of a believer willing to give her all for God. When you're willing to give your all, great things can happen. I'm thinking at the moment, this is not my notes of a story I heard of Alexander the Great marching up in a fortified city where there was a a great moat that was scores of feet down that circled the city. Alexander marched up with all of his soldiers, but the city was fortified. And he said to those at the top of the tower, surrender or die. And they laughed and said, you cannot penetrate this city. It's been constructed with great care. You can't get in here. And he gave the order to his men and he marched 300 people off the edge of the moat and to their death. And then he looked up, his own soldiers just said march and they marched right off the precipice to their death. And then he looked up and he said surrender or die and they surrendered. What he was saying to them is I'm willing to do whatever it takes. (laughs) And they were saying okay, he's probably going to make it then. And they let him in. When you're willing to die for a cause... Great things can happen. More movement. More impact. Romans 12:1. you see, that seems kind of intense to say. So brothers and sisters, this is what the Bible says. Since God has shown us great mercy, I beg you to offer your lives as a living sacrifice to him. Your offering must be only for God and pleasing to him, which is the spiritual way for you to worship. A living sacrifice we too must be willing to sacrifice our lives for the good of others. That's probably not gonna mean death for us. But it is gonna mean time. When C4 starts to hit and we're securing those leaders right now and we start to go into our community to reach single moms, to reach out to our public schools. These are the things we've identified, four areas, to reach out uh, to those in poverty and beyond. When we start asking for help perhaps the Lord would speak to your heart and you could say, hey, I am here to sacrifice for his kingdom. I've got things to do, but I don't have anything more important than that. And we can find a balance in our time in these things. But if your life exists of a balance or a schedule rather that doesn't include serving him, then it's not right. I just want to say that. You can still find balance in serving him, but if everything you do has nothing to do with your serving others and service to him, then you're you're out of balance as a believer. And you're not going to feel the fulfillment. I mean, mean, you can build houses and gather cars and have a big bank account. You can come to the end of reaching all your goals and say, is this it? I thought it would be more. That's what will happen if that's all you pursue. Because there's, there's not true fulfillment in those things. There's achievement, but not fulfillment. And God says, I want you to take all those gifts and bring them to bear for my kingdom as well. Some of you businessmen and women, you have great skills that we need to coordinate these efforts to reach the lost, to care for our community, and we need you. We live in a day and an hour where people will not stand up for God. More and more, it's becoming uncommon to see people stand, to see people willing to have courage. Tim Tebow's had courage, and it's cost him, hasn't it? Everybody was mad at him, and now uh, they want to run him out of town. Well, we'll see what the Lord does. Football's not everything, I'll tell you that. Football's just a thing. I like what he said recently, because they're saying he may not have a career after leaving the New York Jets, and um, they said, what are you going to do? And he said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who holds, t- uh, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And when you don't live for the things of this world, but you live for God, he'll use the things that you, the place you work and your gifts and talents. But you have to follow him through the twists and the turns and stay on the path. And in the end, you'll see something that's eternal and amazing and wonderful. We don't follow the world. We follow God. And Tebow would stand up and say, I want to thank my Savior, Lord, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And people hated it. But he said, this is the way I want to honor the Lord. And yet, I'm telling you, aside from football, God's going to do something with that young man's life. He gets more attention than he should ever get, and I think it's because the Lord is taking him somewhere that's more important than football. It's about his kingdom. Several years ago, before the Soviet Union broke apart, the premier Khrushchev was speaking about the Supreme Soviet. Uh, um, He was being very critical of the Premier Joseph Stalin and the past regime. And while he was speaking, someone from the audience sent up a note. And the note said this. He opened it. What were you doing when Stalin committed all those atrocities? Khrushchev shouted, Who sent this note up? And no one said a word. I'll give you one more minute to stand up. The seconds ticked off and no one moved. All right, I'll tell you what I was doing. I was doing exactly what the writer of this note was doing, exactly nothing. I was afraid to be counted. Are we afraid to be counted as his? The interesting thing is that we have to get the message of the gospel out, the good news for people to be saved. That message is, is being attacked and Christians are being condemned for sharing it these days. The one way through Jesus Christ. Are you willing to stand up morally and spiritually as you recognize that God has sovereignly placed you exactly where he wants you for such a time as this, this day, this generation, the people you're around? Hey, I believe in relationship and I believe in love, but I promise you that if you have a relationship and you live the love of God, there will come a time where words will be required to be spoken for someone to understand who Jesus is. And I believe God wants us to be like Esther. That we would be the people who would give up even status. We must be willing to give up the good things for the best. God says that if we share love, we show love. And we're faithful with our lives that will win favor with God and man. And so that means that if we love and we bring the gospel, he'll still give us favor with man in some way. Not all men. As we can see, Jesus was the most loved and the most hated person in the history of the world. But oh, when the message gets out and that love is shared and a life lives it, people start to open their hearts to receive it. And if we will be like Esther to stand up so that people might be saved, great joy will come because it says in Esther 9.22, and I close with this. After the nation was spared, their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. And that's what we can bring to others as they know Jesus Christ.